0: 2 from Plum Creek with love. A Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. As I had mentioned in my last podcast uh, that I had visited the real life Walnut Grove, I am now back home. 7200 miles in 2 weeks is a lot. But I do have one thing to say. The United States is a very beautiful country. And getting to see it by car makes you really appreciate every inch that you get to visit. Now, albeit, there were definitely a few not-so-pleasant spots to drive through, but that's to be expected. And there are definitely some scary, scary drivers out on the road. But each state had its own different experience, different scenery, and again, different drivers. It was definitely one of those Footloose and fancy free kind of experiences. So if you ever get the opportunity, you have the time, to travel across this country and back again, I would highly encourage it. And I will say this, if you can do it with a Toyota Prius, I would highly encourage you to do that. From the Pacific Northwest all the way to Southern Florida, it cost us $150, just saying oh and i also found it kind of humorous that the eastern seaboard felt as though the gas price at 280 per gallon was a little outrageous we're paying almost three dollars and forty cents here in the pacific northwest but that's a whole different experience i guess if you're traveling the country by horse and with that being said let's get started on today's recap Today's episode is entitled Circus Man and premiered on February 5th, 1975, was written by Ward Hotkins, based on a story by Preston Wood and Ward Hotkins, and directed by Victor French. It's late night at the Ingalls. We start with a close-up shot of a sleeping Jack, and the camera slowly zooms out of the window to the exterior of the house. And whoa, sweet heavens, over by the barn, there's a silhouette of a man stepping into frame with a rifle, and he fires it, and you bet your sweet ass. Everyone wakes up, well except Jack, because there's no barking, and also it should be noted, Carrie must be able to sleep through anything, because we don't get her reaction at all. The front door of the house opens up, and Charles steps out in his pajamas and his own rifle. We get a slow scan from Charles' point of view, and then we see it, the shadow over by the barn, and Charles lifts up his own rifle. The gentleman says that this is just a misunderstanding and then raises his rifle above his head and introduces himself as William O'Hara. And he explains that he has his rifle out because he had seen intruders and wanted to scare them off. At this point, the front door opens up and Caroline steps out to inquire about the situation. Charles tells her to go back inside. At the moment, he doesn't even know what's going on. It's at this point, William O'Hara finally steps into the light. Wide-eyed and with a toothy smile and dressed in a brown checkered colored suit plus a lovely derby. However, this image is slightly reminiscent of an illustration from the book scary stories to tell in the dark. And the story I'm thinking about is called The Thing. Feel free to google that image. It just should be noted that it looks as though Mr. William O'Hara wants to devour Charles. And from here, we get an explanation for the gunfire. William O'Hara was traveling by wagon late at night looking for a place to camp, and he saw a bobcat crossing the Ingalls yard. My aim is not as good as my intention, he explains. Charles says, thank you, Mr. O'Hara. Quickly, he replies, call me Will or Willie. I am a circus man, sole owner and proprietor of O'Hara's Circus and Menagerie. Charles then invites Mr. O'Hara, Willie, to stay and camp at his place. You know, uh, thank you for scaring away the bobcat. And before heading to bed, William O'Hara asked for his name. My name's Charles Ingalls. Charles Ingalls. Oh, that's a fine, fine name. And I'll agree to that. Next morning, Mary and Laura, en route to school, approach William O'Hara's wagon. And on it is displayed colorful images of a con gorilla. Not really sure what that's about. And exotic talking birds. And Laura remarks on how beautiful that poster is. And we hear an odd sounding, hello, and we cut to a blackbird as the source of this talking. And Laura is simply astounded. Did you hear that? That bird is talking! William O'Hara steps out and refers to the girls as pixies. And the Ingles girls are apparently really based in reality. Because Laura says, we're not pixies, we're girls followed by Big Sister Mary saying, there is no such thing as pixies. William O'Hara continues, no little people? Leprechauns? Trolls? Or unicorns? The girls giggle and reply, no, you know, these girls are not even teenagers and already their imagination is gone. Is there no time for imagination on the prairie? The talking blackbird which we come to learn his name is Mr. Poe, jumps into a scene and utters the word farewell. However, there's a poorly concealed black string tied around his left leg. Come one, come all, on, see at the circus. William O'Hara, at this point, is ready to share Congorilla with Mary and Laura. And during his story, it is revealed that Congorilla is actually a chimpanzee in a real small enclosure. William O'Hara talks a big game and Laura is pretty captivated by the story of Kongorilla's monstrous origins. We then hear once again from Mr. Poe, time to go, time to go. And Charles then has to agree with the birds and says, girls, it's time to head on to school. The two of them slowly head towards the school Laura is still simply amazed by the origin of gorilla. However, it seems as though Mary is not falling for it. However, a yell from Charles for them to hurry gets them moving right along. At this time, Caroline comes out with her basket, getting ready to gather some eggs. Charles makes the remark that that sign of gorilla kind of fools you. Oh, Charles. Caroline sifting through the hen house, only manages to find a single egg. That's rather odd. William O'Hara steps forward and asks if he may go ahead and check, and poof, he manages to find three or four, plus another one in Charles's hat, and another one hiding in Caroline's apron pocket. However, it does seem a little strange. On this particular morning, Caroline was only able to find one egg, and William O'Hara manages to materialize all these other eggs it doesn't seem that suspicious at all does it but completely amazed caroline has to know how does he do it and caroline try 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 to understand he's a magic man we cut to the mill there is sawdust flying onto a glistening charles and it's hot and sunny, because when Mr. Hansen comes out to inquire about an additional wood order, he kind of winces in the sunlight. And from there, Doc Baker seems to come out of nowhere, holding on to a bottle full of something that I don't know what it is. What's this I hear about a circus out at your place? And Charles proclaims, you've got to see it to believe it. I have to say, Doc Baker was correct. Word does spread quicker than scat and walnut grove. Mr. Hansen, however, seems to be suffering from a migraine and refuses to revisit Doc Baker because the pills that he was given already didn't work. Doc Baker, doing some doc explaining to Charles, that the pain in Mr. Hansen's head is a symptom for something, and I want to find out what it is. Your body is telling you something is up. Mr. Hansen flat out says, a headache is a headache, and heads back to the office. Doc Baker gives up whatever he was drinking inside of the bottle he's been holding onto over to Charles and claims, that is a stubborn man. Cut to late night at the Ingalls, and for a second time, William O'Hara is the cause of everyone being awoken in the middle of the night. Caroline simply proclaims, now what? The wagon is a-rockin', the animals are squawking, Charles with pants on, and a shirt, finds William O'Hara laying against the wagon wheel, crying out, thief, thief! He's also complaining that he might have a few cracked ribs. Now Charles, he knows a thing or two about broken ribs, you know, after falling out of a tree, fetching a kite, and harvest of friends. And he's there bandaging up William O'Hara's torso, you know, to keep things in place. Mary returns from outside with a green box, one that William O'Hara had requested from his wagon. Sitting down with a little wince, William O'Hara admits that this is not the first time that this treasure has had an attempt to be stolen from him. He refers to the box as the secret of Shamin. According to William O'Hara, it is the magic ability to heal illness to any man or beast. Charles and Caroline are covering their slight smiles. I feel as though these two never learned how to roll their eyes. However, William O'Hara is hypnotizing the girls and myself with his sleight of hand abilities moving around a small golden envelope. William O'Hara inquires... How long do ribs take to heal? Charles responds with a number of weeks, a month possibly. And from there, we get a demonstration of the secrets of shaman powder. The powder bubbles when it comes in contact with water and he tells the girls not to share this secret. Laura responds that she would never tell another soul. Funny, however, he doesn't ask the same thing of the adults in the room. We cut to Harriet Olson reading the label on a bottle dizziness, colored tongue, fatigue, spots before the eyes, obesity, thin blood. It's good for so many things, but nothing about a money back a guarantee. Mr. Hansen is still suffering from that headache, and from the sound of it, the product from the Merchantile didn't help either. Mr. Hansen points out on the bottle where it says money back guarantee and Harriet Olsen. Oh, well, maybe it doesn't mean what it says, but Mr. Hansen further complains that the pain is like a sledgehammer or at least 10,000 Norwegians with sledgehammers. Then off screen, Laura breaks her promise and tells Mr. Hansen about William O'Hare's secret of shaman powder. As Laura continues to spew forth the words she last night claimed would never tell a soul, Mary is doing a lousy job of trying to get her sister to remain quiet. Shaking her arm isn't going to cut it, Mary. Secret powder from India. Mr. Hansen is desperate and a little curious. Harriet Olson calls it all nonsense and rubbish. However, that doesn't stop Mr. Hanson because he turns tail and heads out over to the Ingalls. And over at the Ingalls, William O'Hara does not seem too upset that the girls have spilt his little secret. And Mr. Hansen is then seen chugging one cupful of water mixed with the secret of shaman powder down. It's immediately followed up with a belch. And from that moment, Mr. Hansen proclaims he feels great. How much do I owe you? And William O'Hara guarantees him that this is free of charge. He only gives it out to those who need it. Back over at the mill, a slightly perturbed Doc Baker says to Mr. Hansen, You only think it's working. It's in your head. Mr. Hanson echoes back, it's in my head, yeah. If I have a headache, it's always in my head. Doc Baker continues to state that William O'Hara's magic powder is simply impossible. Mr. Hanson then states, you gave me possible pills that didn't work. William O'Hara gave me impossible secret powder and it worked. He then makes an exit, singing rather loudly. Turning to Charles, Doc Baker states, This magic powder could put me out of business. Charles claims, You're getting worked up over nothing. The Olsons have shelves of bottles of medicine you say don't do anything, but you haven't said anything about those. Interesting point there, Charles. Doc Baker refers to William O'Hara's magic powder as Mumbo Jumbo, Secret of Shimmy there's a slight chuckle from Charles and myself. And Charles states that he doesn't sell it. He gives it away. Dog Baker, on top of this, says only at first angles, only at first. He's creating a demand and then watch as the prices go up. We cut back over to the mercantile, and Harriet Olsen is moving some lanterns. And as she's placing them down in the window display, she puts her hand up on her hip and then she gives a little wince. It's actually kind of a grimace at this point, but Mr. William O'Hara makes an entrance and requests six peppermint sticks. Throwing some shade, Harriet Olsen says, oh, is this some flavoring for your magic powder? "Uh Aha, the word is out, William O'Hara states. At this point, he also asks for three yards of some rather lovely ribbon. Continuing on with her shade, Harry Dolson states, hmm, taking customers from honest business people, she refers to him as a and says that we chase those kind of people out of town. Nodding his head in agreeance, William O'Hara says that is the best thing to do. He then stoops down and picks up an anvil. It seems slightly out of place and Almost comical, but again, this is the merchantile. That sort of item would be available. Harriet Olson behind the counter is blotting herself down as if she's having some sort of hot flashes. I thought you had broken ribs. William O'Hara then upsells his magical powders. I did, but my powder helped cure me of it. He then looks over at Harriet. Do you have pain? And slowly, Harriet Olson admits yes in my side. And it's quite bad at sometimes, She continues on that none of our Doc Baker doesn't seem to be able to help. Maybe your magic powder could. And there's a facepalm from me because we all know that Harry Olson has not gone to see Doc Baker at this time. But William O'Hara using that sleight of hand maneuvers pulls out a golden envelope and gives Harriet Olson some of that powder. We cut to Charles and Caroline mending a fence post and a Doc Baker showing up and coming in pretty fast. It's started. He begins, a useless remedy is as dangerous as a loaded gun. Doc Baker breaks the news that Harry Olson has appendicitis and doesn't want the operation. Again, it should be noted, Doc Baker is aware of the Hippocratic Oath, but is not always following it. She only wants to use William O'Hara's magical nostrum. Upon hearing his name, William O'Hara steps out and says, did I hear my name? At this point, Dog Baker looks reserved, but you can tell he wants to go all con gorilla on William O'Hara. Your lie about magical powder could lead to Harriet Olsen's death. She needs this operation, and she'll only believe your recant. There is little resistance from William O'Hara at this point, and he agrees, but first he has to put away the animals. It's good to see that Congorilla does get out of that cage. Side by side, science and fiction arrive at Harriet Olsen's bedside, and ooh, she does look to be in a heap load of pain. William O'Hara gives her another swig of the magic powder and when Harriet Olson asks if this will help his reply is the lord willing and you'll feel better after the operation. Harriet Olson then loses it as best as she can in her state and wow you have to applaud William O'Hara's charisma and ability to really flip a story. He continues on ah the chance to join the circle of royalty? Queen Victoria and Princess Elmira of Italy both had this operation, and good health came to both of them. Don't you want to be amongst that circle of people who wear jeweled crowns and lived in castles? Of course, Harriet Olsen is now very open to having this procedure done. Outside the mercantile, there is a crowd... It's over 10 people and even Charles is there leaning against a wagon and he's got one hand in his pocket and the other one is slightly fidgeting. The door opens up. Mr. Olsen and Doc Baker come out. She's going to be fine. There's a celebratory murmur amongst the crowd as they disperse. Although things are going to be fine for Harriet Olsen, Doc Baker is still upset we still have William O'Hara and his fake cure. He's got to go. Heading back home, William O'Hara is working with gorilla, And Charles says, Harriet Olsen is recovering and will be back up in a week. And your magical powder, according to Doc Baker, is nothing but sugar, baking powder, and effervescent. It has no medicinal functions whatsoever. Defending himself, William O'Hara states, People hear what they want. However, Charles reminds him, Well, you claimed it also cured broken ribs. Oops, it's blarney only, according to William O'Hara. And then it finally happens. Charles asks William O'Hara to move on. William O'Hara agrees, but he has one condition. If he can stay the night and leave just before sunrise, so that he can avoid saying goodbye to the wee ones. As a final gesture, Charles nods, extends his hand, and shakes William O'Hara and wishes him good luck. Once Charles leaves the scene, William O'Hara looks at his hand and seems actually rather stunned by this gesture. A rooster crows to let us know that it's the next morning, and as promised, William O'Hara is gone from the Ingles' residence and Laura she's a little upset he was going to teach me magic tricks i've been waiting all week Charles then lets us know that that's the way with circus people they're kind of unpredictable they're not like us they're used to being on the go footloose and fancy free to cheer up his girls he tells them that they're going to take the eggs into the to sell, And here, each one of you can have a penny for some striped candy. And wow, that's actually a treat coming from the Ingalls. But a whole penny can also get you quite a bit of black licorice too. With Jack by their side, the girls arrive at the Merchantile, where Jack is then instructed to stay out on the deck as the two girls go inside for some striped candy. Jack, just like Charles earlier in the episode, surveys the landscape. And oh my goodness, we see our first feline in Walnut Grove, which immediately gets Jack's attention. Leaving his spot on the porch, he heads across the street, unfortunately, right in the way of a wagon that rolls over him. Somehow, Jack is brought back to the Ingalls' house. There are no broken bones, just some cuts and scratches, and he's not bleeding anymore. It's at this point that Laura wishes William O'Hara was there to give some of the magical powder to Jack. It's at this point Charles spills the tea. It was all an act. William O'Hara is a faker. Laura does not want to believe this and heads up to the loft. And at that point, Charles heads to the door and puts on his hat and he heads out to find William O'Hara and states, Laura won't forgive me if I don't even try. The search for William O'Hara is done actually rather quickly. Charles finds him pretty fast. Of course, with his wagon, William O'Hara really only had the roads to travel and Charles was riding up over the hillside. Back over the Ingalls... Caroline, Carrie, and Mary are at the table. We get a slow pan down to Laura, who is on the floor next to Jack. And that's when William O'Hara comes through the door. And Laura is so thankful. William O'Hara is sympathetic. And Charles? Charles is being a good dad. Knowing the procedure, Laura goes and fetches a small cup of water. But William O'Hara is reluctant to bring out the secret powder. But at this point, Laura is just begging, please, please. The golden envelope comes out, is opened up, and some of the powder is put into that cup of water. Following that, William O'Hara then pulls a red hanky from his right pocket and sponges some of the water down to Jack. Happy to see this process completed, Laura then inquires, he'll get better now. William O'Hara's response, the good Lord willing. He then excuses himself to attend to his animals. Charles follows behind and says that he'll give him a hand. William O'Hara is once again, like I said, very good at his double talk. Charles flat out says, you have to tell her the powder is useless. But William O'Hara calls him out. You didn't speak up. But you also didn't say anything when she expressed her gratitude for bringing me back. Why not? He then continues. She has hope to cling to. Would you steal that bit of hope from her? Right now, we wait. Charles silently heads inside. We cut to Charles and Caroline in bed. We pan to the dinner table where William O'Hara is head down also asleep. The camera then moves over to Laura wrapped up in a blanket propped up against the side of the wall and the cabinet and then down to Jack who starts to move a little bit and then he whines and this wakes up Laura and she sees Jack on his feet. Laura calls out to her parents. I told you so. She gets up and gives William O'Hara a big hug and says, you can't leave. With you, we don't need a doctor in Walnut Grove. At this point, William O'Hara looks past Laura and over to Charles, and he says, no, I won't stay. And he then spills the tea. I am a trickster. Nothing about me is real. The way I talk, even my name. Laura is confused. Why do you fool people? William O'Hara then states The road is lonely, and I just want to be liked. Laura is speechless. In fact, the whole room is actually speechless, and that's when William O'Hara gets up, wipes a tear off of Laura's face, turning it into an egg in the process. Charles gives a nod to William O'Hara, signaling, you did good, and William O'Hara turns and leaves. No words, no looking back. Charles comes out to thank him, and William O'Hara or really the man with no name, says he can't tell who is hurting more, her or me, but she'll get over it. Charles then asks, where are you heading? And we are told that, I don't know. However, Charles says, if you come by this way again, stop by. We'd like to see you. William O'Hara or the man with no name has friends and with a smile he looks down at Charles and says the good lord willing. From here the camera slowly zooms out and we get a final shot of Charles watching the wagon heading outwards. Mr. William O'Hara is played by Red Buttons. My first introduction to Mr. Buttons was with the movie Pete's Dragon. Growing up, we had many pirated movies available at our home collection, and that was one of them. So I would watch that over and over again, and became very familiar with this character of Red Buttons. Plus, with a name like Red Buttons, how can you forget that? A number of years later, about 1985 or so, there was a made-for-TV version of Alice in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass. And again, growing up on Disney movies, I was aware of the story of Alice in Wonderland, but this second half Look Through the Looking Glass definitely kept my interest and also managed to scare the crap out of me as a little kid because it had the Jabberwocky, which again, if you're familiar with the Disney version of Alice in Wonderland, there's no Jabberwocky. And oddly enough, for somebody who had already seen Poltergeist, the Ghostbusters, and John Carpenter's The Thing at this age, this Jabberwocky was one thing that truly frightened me. And so what does that have to do with anything? Well, Mr. Red Buttons was the white rabbit in this version of Alice in Wonderland. It's a very interesting version of Alice in Wonderland slash Through the Looking Glass with, of course, all the stars of the early 80s, mid 80s, late 70s. It was a strange musical cast that included the likes of Ringo Starr, Bo Bridges, Low Bridges, John Stamos, Patrick Duffy, Sid Caesar, mm, Rodney McDowell, and was my introduction to Carol Channing who taught me that you can jam tomorrow, you can jam yesterday, but you can never, never jam today. And Shelley Winters, which coincidentally was also in the movie Pete's Dragon. And lastly, the only other role that I'm aware of with red buttons is his brief roles in the sitcom Roseanne. In season 5, episode 21 entitled Playing With Matches, and then again in season six, episode 23, in an episode called Body by Jake. And again, fun little fact, Shelley Winters, who was also in Pete's Dragon, was also a character in Roseanne, playing Roseanne's grandmother. So that's all I was aware with Mr. Red Buttons. So... After watching this episode, of course, I need to know a little bit more. And yeah, come to find out, Mr. Red Buttons is an Academy Award winner for Best Supporting Actor. He won his Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in the 1957 movie Sayonara. Also, that movie won Best Supporting Actress for Miyoshi Umeki. And she would make history by being the first Asian woman to win an Academy Award for acting. And all in all, this movie, Sayonara, was the most nominated movie for that year with 10 nominations. And I have to admit, this is really the first I've ever heard of this movie. And with 10 nominations, how does this movie not also get brought up in trivia every once in a while? So what other movies were nominated the same year as Sayonara? Picture it, it's the 30th annual Academy Awards, and they were held on March 26, 1958. The other contenders for Best Picture for that year were 12 Angry Men, Paid in Place, Witness for the Prosecution, and the winner for that year, The Bridge Over the River Kwai. Like I said, I'm well aware of most of these movies except for The Witness and Prosecution, and Sayonara. And as luck would have it, Sayonara is available for streaming on YouTube as of two weeks ago. Albeit there are some commercials, but you can skip over those. It has a running time of a little over two hours, but it is absolutely worth it. And it's a very relevant picture to go ahead and watch these days. And speaking of some things to watch also that are on YouTube, sleight of hand clips are really entertaining especially when they slow those clips down and you, and you get a chance to see all the fine motor skills that are taking place. It's absolutely fascinating and again, enjoy a clip or two. And with that, let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. This is our second Academy Award winner in the series so far. I guess right off the bat, one of the things I do have a problem with is in this episode is the title Circus Man. When it comes to circus, I don't feel there's much circus to this man. There's more showmanship and storytelling that is really, really well done with his charisma. But circus, I don't see it. Charles even calls him out again very quickly with his poster of Kongorilla, how it fools everyone. I mean, Charles... You woke up in the middle of the night to a man holding a rifle claiming that it was a bobcat. When was the last time you actually had bobcats as a problem? I also have to say I'm a little shocked that Charles and Caroline didn't catch on that William O'Hara was a real big figure any sooner than they did. I mean, come on. He finds all the eggs in the henhouse and he wakes you a second night in a row something's up with that but like he says in the very beginning of the episode my aim is not nearly as good as my intention William O'Hara is just essentially a really sad character and what's worse is that it doesn't seem as though he changes that much we know that he's going to leave Walnut Grove but is he going to continue on with those same tricks and fool other people He seemed really shocked when he got that handshake from Charles and was told to have good luck, and then even at the end when Charles encouraged him to visit if he ever stopped by. But does William O'Hara, aka the man with no name, really change? And so I guess that's what I really don't like about this episode. And what was Mr. Hansen really suffering from? Because it couldn't be some sort of really extreme heartburn because that has nothing to do with his headaches. But apparently one loud belch after all that bubbly fixture is what caused his headache to just magically go away? Or was it really just serendipity? And speaking of pleasant things, let's talk about this episode's little house moment which i am giving to mr william o'hara as he convinces harriet olson to have the operation that whole talk about putting harriet in the circle of great royalty and having her just go along with it harriet olson is in a class all of her own flipping from a no i will not have a surgery to yes i want to be just like the royals In a matter of minutes, again, applaud to William O'Hara. However, there is a special mention to the moment later in the episode where William O'Hara does confess that he is the trickster and he drops his accent and says, even my name is not real. The reason why I didn't pick this scene was only the fact that he says his name is not real and doesn't bother to give his real name instead or any sort of real life backstory and again we're at the end of the episode so there wouldn't have been time but something as simple as adding his real name would have changed the focus for the little house moment this week and with that let's get to rating this episode all right so circus man again didn't really see much circus there as much as we saw a bunch of monkey business and again it was sad to hear that Laura and Mary don't even believe in unicorns leprechauns trolls little people pixies it's a little sad but again that shouldn't affect the rating but even for Charles and Caroline to continue on with the charade even after their expressions of seeing the secret of shaman powder questionable and again honestly not knowing whether Mr. William O'Hara has changed it all as he leaves, just kind of leaves it very open ending. So, um, I mean, some of these episodes can be standalone episodes. So in this particular case, I don't know if we'll ever see William O'Hara again. So I would like to just know that his story is complete. Did he change to be a better man or at least a different man? So with that, I am giving Circus Man four and a quarter bonnets. And so those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or previous episodes. You can reach me at from love at gmail.com. And make sure to, um, if you're not already doing that, hitting the following or subscribe button on whatever platform it is that you're listening to. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.